Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Drink the Movies. I'm Brian here, as always, with Michaela. Michaela, how are you doing? Fourth uh, of July was this weekend here in the States. Uh, what did you do to celebrate? I celebrated America by wearing a flag and decorating mm. all okay. the things with mm-hmm. my flag. And yes. I drank heavily. Okay. And I, um, you know thought about my country <laughs> okay um, good yep. yeah you know, we we barbecue dead things here um mm-hmm. yep. you know yeah yeah, yeah all, all of the uh, all of the standard Fourth uh, of July stuff there sounds like so uh, that's good yeah we had some uh, family in from out of town so had kind of just a low key you know family celebration you know, had the kids out in the out in the pool did some barbecuing uh, had a couple drinks and you know just kind of hung out lit some sparklers late in the evening that was that was pretty fun but uh, uh, Michaela the question on my mind everyone's mind is last week you told us you were working on perfecting your uh, drunken watermelon recipe. Uh, you were running out of time, but were you able to pin that one down? I was, I was. And, um, so I'm going to, I'm going to share with you my tried and true way to make a drunk watermelon. Okay. So my recommendation is to get a smaller watermelon, not one of the giant ones, you know, there's ones that look like a sphere. And then there are ones that like, Mm -hmm. look like a, a weird, oval i would get the one that looks like a sphere and if you just don't think that's going to be enough then get two um okay they're just much easier to keep still in the fridge and you're going to need the fridge so you're going to cut open the top with um using like a like the top of a vodka bottle and i um did a drunken watermelon with an entire bottle of vodka so uh you use that to kind of create a plug at the top and then you um, get a funnel. A lot of the YouTube videos and stuff don't tell you to do this. And this is where I made the mistake for years. Okay. Do not put the bottle upside down and just shove it into the, into the watermelon. Don't do Mm -hmm. that. That is a mistake. I, 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 I'm not a physicist. Okay. Um, So I don't, I can't tell you all the reasons why that never seems to work, but it doesn't work. What does work is if you get a funnel and you put your watermelon that is like spherically shaped, okay, into a big Mm -hmm. bowl so it doesn't roll all over the place and you, you pour some vodka in the funnel and you can put it then in the fridge and every, I don't know, hour you go check and you'll see (laughs) The, the vodka will have gone down and you just keep pouring it in over the course of like three days until the entire bottle is gone from your bottle and inside the watermelon. And okay. then you cut that sucker up and you keep it away from kids and, yes. um, and you, you eat it as adults. And I got to tell you, this was a huge hit. We had a big um, get together uh, with my neighborhood yesterday and we got out the drunken watermelon and it at you couldn't really taste the vodka even it was just super mm-hmm. sweet and watermelony 
but after a slice, you were like, whoa, it's uh, it's very <laughs> potent. Um, okay. but be- and I really think it's because of the funnel, but you don't have to stab the watermelon with anything. There's a lot of theories out there about how to make this work. Literally, mm-hmm. all you have to do is cut a hole in the top. You don't even have to scoop any, any watermelon out of it. Um, mm-hmm. If you just put the funnel in and keep replacing the vodka, it will go down. It just takes some time. And I think that's also important. It, I mean, this was a three day thing. It doesn't take a lot of time over the course of three days, but you've got to start early. Yep. <laughs> so, and then yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Now, so now that you have this method perfected, you'll have to play around with the different uh, liquors. Cause I bet you could do like some different, Oh, I bet that uh, the liquor 43 that we used for the watermelon margarita would be excellent in a yeah. drunken watermelon or, you know, kind of, you know, mixing that with some vodka or absolutely um, uh, something like that. So absolutely. Now that I've got the, the, the methodology perfected, I think Anthony, my husband was like, Hey, we should really do a, um, a um, jalapeno vodka or some sort of jalapeno liqueur with it because Mm -hmm. it would be spicy and sweet to make kind of the watermelon pop. So that's something that we're, we're going to, we're going to play with. We got all summer now and I got, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a labor of love. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, so the next time I come over for movie night and you just have like 19 watermelons in the fridge, I will. (laughs) I will yeah, don't uh, judge ask some questions. Don't no no judgments here, but right. yeah. So like I mentioned, we had some some family in, so just had a had a couple drinks, um, just kind of hung out. We watched uh, the Rise of Skywalker yesterday. That's what the nephew wanted to watch, so we watched that yesterday, and then we watched Over the Moon, which was one of the uh, Oscar uh, animated films. I know uh, was one of your favorites of the year, Michaela. So we watched that last night uh, with everyone, and it was just as good as we remember the the music and the the artistry of it it was excellent so did that and you know but other than that we weren't able to watch too much because our satellite signal kept cutting out and uh just all of a sudden yesterday these giant ufos started appearing above my house oh no well it sounds like we better make ourselves a computer virus because i can pull one of those out of my back pocket we should find a spaceship and then get Mm -hmm. our victory cigars and go take care of that just remember it's not over until the fat lady sings that's right. That sounds like an excellent plan to deal with these uh, UFOs and uh, having some drinks are probably going to help us with that. So why don't we take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about this week's cocktail. This week's cocktail comes from the blog alcoholywood.com and it's called the fat lady song, which makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so in the, in, in the film we're covering this week, uh, Independence Day, uh, Will Smith's character, you know, uh, keeps uh, mentioning that, you know, nothing's over until the fat lady sings. So that's kind of where it's taking uh, the name for this uh, cocktail from. Now, Alka Hollywood's a really cool blog, but it looks like it's uh, defunct. Their last post was in 2019, but we uh, came across this one and it looked kind of interesting. So we thought we'd uh, give it a try. And this one's kind of a blend of, you know, different spirits and things from all over the world, you know, just just like in the movie Independence Day, right? You have to bring together the whole world to fight off these alien invaders. Uh, you have to bring all ingredients from the world to uh, come up with this cocktail, Michaela. So mm, yeah. uh, why? <laughs> That's a beautiful before, way to explain this. I love it. Yeah. So so before before we, uh, uh, why don't we, you know, give the rundown on the ingredients here for everyone. Um, and then we can uh, talk a little bit about what we thought about this one. Sure, sure. So the first thing you're going to need is a giant big gulp cup because this is the biggest drink I've ever seen in my life uh, as it is described. 
which I'm going to read to you now. It is two parts of Irish mist, which is a honey liqueur, mm-hmm. one part St. Germain, one part coconut rum, one part Russian vodka, and 16 parts of American ale. Mm-hmm. Now, the American ale, they use, they specify Liberty Ale. Um, if you can't find that, because um, I guess that's that's kind of a very small batch is what I was told when I was looking for it. Um, mm-hmm. We actually uh, picked the same beer when we were recreating this in separate places, Brian. You picked Sierra Nevada. I picked Sierra Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um which I thought was actually really interesting. So um, you can find any American ale, any American style pale ale will work yep. for this. Um, mm-hmm. And you need what you do is you fill a cup uh, with all of these ingredients, or you could be real smart like Brian and cut it in half. I did not do that the first time I created this, um, but you just fill everything. Um, you fill all, you fill the glass with the liquor and then you, add ice, and then you pour the beer over the ice, which I guess is a really big no-no, but they say to do it anyway. And then you drink it and hope you don't die. Yeah, you you stir it up. So so Michaela read these parts as an ounce each, uh, which is one way to do it. Uh, you know, parts is relative, right? So she did 16 uh, <laughs> ounces of this beer. Um, I did four ounces of the beer and then, uh, you know, a half an ounce of the Irish mist and a quarter ounce of the St. Germain, quarter ounce of the coconut rum and a quarter ounce of the, the vodka. So my drink was more manageably sized. But yeah, you pour it, you pour all that stuff in the glass over the ice, stir it up and that and then you drink it so uh, the big reason for not doing beer over ice is that that's a lot of nucleation points for the beer so when you do that and you stir it your beer like instantly goes flat so you don't get any of the effervescence any of the carbonation from the beer uh so you're drinking flat beer with all of this other alcohol in it um when you actually had this before me because uh, we were like I said I had family in this week so mm. we were we were separate to try this one um, and you said it kind of tasted like a Long Island iced tea and that's that's pretty accurate I think it's kind of like a watery version of a Long Island iced tea almost yeah I likened it to a Long Island iced tea because it actually doesn't taste like any of the things that I've just described like it doesn't taste like honey it doesn't taste like Saint Germain it doesn't taste like coconut rum and it doesn't taste like vodka um but instead of like the splash of Coke that you put on the top of the Long Island iced tea to give it the nice mm-hmm. tea color, you use a, an entire bottle. Well, I did an entire bottle of beer. And so it just, yeah, yeah. It didn't taste like any of them. It didn't taste like the beer even. It, it just was this kind of amalgam of flavor. It was, it was, <laughs> an, am, it was an amalgam of flavor um, that wasn't great. And this also pushes our theory to the, test that um, if you put St. Germain in a cocktail, it's bound to be more delicious. So either our theory is incorrect or this cocktail is so far out of the bounds of other cocktails uh, that it, you know, it does the St. Germain uh, disservice. And uh, it absolutely does. I, I would not recommend drinking this as is, but I have a proposition for you, Michaela, and everyone listening at home. Next week on the lobby bar, we're going to make a couple of tweaks to this and it will be drinkable and dare I say, fairly delicious. I still don't love beer cocktails, but I, th- I think we can get this, you know, in a, in a uh, pretty good place if you in wanted to uh, mix up and, and to mix up a beer cocktail. What do you think? I think that you're on. I'm so excited. Um, is it going to have St. Germain in it still? 
I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the St. Germain to the side. I think I'm going to have to, uh, have to do a little bit of thinking, but I'm going to come back with yeah. uh, something good. So, okay. Yeah. I, I, I do think that if I, I had not tried this without the St. Germain, but I'm, I'm sure it was probably even worse than when we had it with the St. Germain. Um, my poor husband took one sip of this and actually had to make a video of how horrible it was. Cause he, he was like, I would drink gin, which is his least, least liked alcohol uh, on the planet. He, he said he would drink gin all day before he took another sip of this. He absolutely hated it. Now I will say I, I couldn't, couldn't give up the ghost. Right. So I made my big gulp and I had a little of it. I didn't drink all of it. Cause I mean, it really was 32 ounces of stuff. It was mm-hmm. way too big. Um, but the next day when, um, we sat down to preview, uh, independence day, I actually cut it in half and it was drinkable. It was, it still wasn't great. Um, but, but I at least could finish the cocktail. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I kind of, I kind of get where they were going with it, but I do think that, yeah, they, we, we need to really, uh, tweak this. So I'm very excited about what you're bringing next week to the lobby bar. Yeah. So, uh, tune into the lobby bar next week for a, a tweak on this, but for right now, Uh, We have to save the planet. So we're going to take our fat lady song and we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to be right back to talk about this week's film, Independence Day. Spoiler warning for Independence Day. If you have not yet watched Independence Day, stop what you're doing. Pause this. Go watch Independence Day. Swing back around home in your spaceship and then we can chat about it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Independence Day uh, came out on July the 3rd of 1996. It was directed by Roland Emmerich, and it stars a lot of stars. Uh, It sure does. Yeah, so it stars Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum, Bill Pullman, Mary McDonnell, Vivica A. Fox, and Randy Quaid, and, uh, you know, several other uh, actors, uh, not quite as well known, but, you know, really good actors that... uh, did a lot of good stuff in the 90s. So yeah, just a really good ensemble cast here for this one. And it was nominated for two Academy Awards. It was, and it actually won one um, because nobody can blow up the White House quite like this, the visual aids, the visual effects director could. Um, yeah. So it won for visual effects. It did lose for best sound. Um mm-hmm. But um, there's a lot of destruction in, in, in this film, and they do it very, very believably well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, 25 so the, years, though. This is a 25-year anniversary, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, 25 years of, uh, you know, Independence Day of President Bill Pullman's speech, you know, that still resounds with us today. It must be a hot trending film because you can watch this one on HBO Max and it comes right, it was right up on like the uh, splash screen when you open it up, you know, just for the mm-hmm. uh, the holday weekend here. So uh, this one, uh, you know, rings near and dear to a lot of, a lot of people. And why don't we jump in and talk about it? This film opens up. It's going to. It has this very '90s looking font, um, which kind of goes through, you know, the director and the the production companies and all that stuff. But it ends up, you know, telling you it's July the second, and you're hearing uh, Neil Armstrong's kind of communication back from the moon. You see the flag. You see the plaque there, um, and then all of a sudden, kind of the moon surface starts to tremble, and you see this giant shadow just kind of pouring over the moon and you see the earth kind of there in the distance. That's right. And um, 
of course, then it goes to SETI, which is this extraterrestrial intelligence agency that I, I don't even know if it still really exists here because we know aliens are real. We just don't want to talk about it in this in this world. But anyway, so in SETI, there's this dude. He, you know, it's the quintessential smart, genius looking dude. He's, but he's kind of disheveled and he's playing golf. He's playing mm-hmm. like a like a putt putt in his in the SETI office because, of course, no one believes aliens are ever going to land. And then, of course the sounds of the ship moving have set off all the alarms they he calls up his superior who who in the middle of the night and i love how he answers the phone he says if you're not an incredibly beautiful woman i'm hanging up mm-hmm. um but he says no no something something's wrong some of the alarms are going off and so the supervisor comes in and they start um kind of dialing down where the radio signal is coming from and they are thinking that originally that it was from another star or something but they're able to pinpoint it to the moon which mm-hmm. is only 375,000 kilometers away, which actually uh, in, in the real world, that would scare the bejesus out of most people because that's real close. Yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds real far, but in the scheme of space, that's real close. Right. So that's like, that's like uh, next door to your house is where this uh, signal is coming from basically. So yeah. 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 So they're there, you know, they think it might be like a, a Russian spy craft or, you know, just some sort of other interference, but yeah, they think it's, you know, coming from the, the moon possibly but you know we know that there's nothing on the moon been there you know probably have some satellites looking at it so uh the signal's coming in so we're gonna jump over here to the pentagon and they're having a briefing they've got like this infrared little little like briefcase kind of thing they pop open and are looking at these images um and you see these big like discs and they're talking about you know these ships coming in they're like we think you know it's it's not an asteroid and they say well how do you know it's not an asteroid or a meteorite and they're like well because it's slowing down and that's not good (laughs) that's that's never a good thing when a giant thing is coming towards earth but just gonna stop along the way so um we pans over to uh the bill pullman who's the president of the united states and Mm -hmm. you don't know how long he's been president you think it's probably his first term um just Mm -hmm. because some of the things that it's on the news they're talking about his approval ratings and they they um you know the mclaughlin group which i don't even know if that still exists but it was really big in the 90s and um they're talking about how they you know, elected this fighter pilot and they got kind of a wimp and his, you know, numbers are dropping. Anyway, he's watching the news and his wife, the first lady calls him. She's on the other side of the country. She's on the West coast. And, um, they're talking about, you know, what's, you know, what's the, what's the plan for the next couple of days and, uh, how he's, how is he going to fight off the press and things? And, um, his daughter, who's um, she's probably four, four years old or so, is sleeping next mm-hmm. to him. And, uh, you know, she gets on the phone and she immediately tells her mom that, you know, dad let her watch Letterman the night before. <laughs> you know, so it kind of normalizes him as a human, but also the president of the United States. But uh, it's not very long in the morning before he gets a call from the Secretary of Defense, probably telling him all the stuff that we just seen, right? That there's something coming, <laughs> that it's really big, and that it's slowing down right over our planet. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's not good. There's a great saddle. There's a great visual effects scene where you see this giant-looking ship um, mm-hmm. that is, you know, starts entering the outer part of the atmosphere where there are satellites. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I don't know if that's 
if that's the right term for it, because it's not the atmosphere because there's not oxygen, but it's out, it's, it's outer space, but it's close enough where it's starting mm-hmm. to break up all the satellites. So of course the next thing, you know, you know, is no one's TV is working. <laughs> so yeah, it, it really gives kind of a good sense of scale, right? Cause it kind of, it kind of follows the satellite go and it just crashes into the side of this, you know, massive uh, spaceship. Um, and you get a couple of these little cuts, you know, to kind of, you know, to remind you of what's coming and how big it is and how scary it is and things to set this up as it's kind of bouncing around, you know, starting to tie these stories in together. So right. uh, we, uh, we step away from the, uh, the president there, his, uh, you know, chief of staff, he takes the call from the uh, secretary of defense and we're in the park uh, central park, I assume, or some sort of park in uh, New York um, and they're playing chess. So we've got David and that's uh, Jeff Goldblum's character and his father. They're, they're there playing uh, chess and then finish up their game. And David uh, heads into work, right? He takes his bike into work and I love it. He gets into the office and he just is like riding his bicycle through the, uh, through totally. the office there, through all these people. And everyone's kind of freaking out because the, all the TV satellites are not working right. Uh, David's kind of like a he's kind of like a, a scientist guy, but he's kind of like in charge of like engineering, I guess, for, you know, this, this company that's basically controlling all of like the television satellites, uh, you know, which was something that was pretty prominent, you know, back in the nineties for sure. So, um, but yeah, all of these TV satellites are going offline. So everyone's kind of freaking out and <laughs> David's, you know, kind of nonplussed about everything, but he's, he's getting in there and he's like, well, all right, I'll go figure it out. You know? Nobody. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum, you know, a lot of people accuse Jeff Goldblum of just playing himself in every single character he does. And I don't think that's quite true, but he has a, a just a really great way of being of being a good scientist who's like super focused and like all this minutia is happening around him and he's just very much um into what's what's right in front of him. And so he you know, his assistant is saying, oh my gosh, you know, there's something totally wrong with the radio signals. And, and he kind of hands him the sheet of paper because he's like, well, did you try this? And did you try this? And he says, yeah, I did. And he looks at it and then he's like, oh, oh, this doesn't look good. And so he's like, shut the door, leave me alone. So he like goes into this dark room, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and starts to kind of figure this out. Um, in the meantime, you know, uh, you know, no, no one knows, I guess the world has not kind of caught on to the fact that there are these things, you know, or there's this thing flying through the sky. Um, mm-hmm. But in, uh, I think it's Arizona, there's, that we go to another, we kind of cut to another group of individuals. Um, there's a gentleman who is named Russell Case, his whole family, they live in um, kind of a trailer park. And I think it's Arizona. And um Russell Case has got, he's a single dad. He's got three kids. They're, they're all in their teens and he has a, um, has a drinking problem. He's an, you definitely think he's a binge drinker and the oldest son, his name is Miguel. He is kind of cooking dinner or cooking breakfast for all the kids in the trailer and a truck driver comes up and he's real mad and he's a farmer and Mm -hmm. he's got this a handful of um, dead crops. And he's like, look, where's your dad? He need, you know, he's a crop duster and he's not crop dusting my field and I don't know where he is. And so Miguel like gets on his bike and goes and tries to find his dad, his motorcycle, I guess. And when he finds his dad, his dad's been drinking. He was flying a plane, which is not safe. Don't do that. Um, but he's, he ends up, he's so drunk. He doesn't realize he's crop dusting the wrong field. And mm-hmm. so the kid, you could, you could just tell the kids are just kind of, 
ashamed, embarrassed by their dad mm-hmm. um, because yeah. he just can't seem to get to get his act together. Apparently he fought in Vietnam, um, but, you know, he's just not been able to kind of, you know, pull yeah. himself up by his bootstraps, <laughs> I guess, and and continue. Yeah, his his life's in a little bit of disarray and the, the kids are not, you know, <laughs> kind of a, appreciative of that for sure. So, right. so yeah, so we meet Russell and then we get another breakaway here to this, uh, this giant massive spaceship, right? So we just seen the satellite kind of crash into this thing. And now this huge massive spaceship uh, starts deploying these smaller spaceships. And by smaller, I mean, they're like 15 miles wide, right? Like city sized <laughs> spaceships, right. which, which seems not great for <laughs> for the planet. Yes. Yeah. I don't know why. And and we they do there's a scene where the president is talking, but right before that, they're kind of showing this um kind of visualization of this ginormous. I mean, this was something like it was half the size of Rhode Island or or Texas. I don't know. It was a really big the this the original spaceship is enormous. And then mm-hmm. they're like, now it's broken up into 16 smaller feet. Like there's 16 smaller pieces and the big enormous one. And I don't know why at that point they're not like peeing their pants because I would be. I mean, this is not good. This doesn't sound like there's there's and there's no communication. They're not like, we come in peace. We just need some water and we'll be on our way. Like none of that's happening. So um, the president is having a meeting with his with his joint chiefs. Um, he says, hey, is there are there any options? Um, what are they going to do? What are we going to do about it? And they start these smaller pieces, uh, these smaller ships that aren't really all that small. They're entering the atmosphere all over the world. So now people are noticing um, mm-hmm. not only that their televisions don't work, but now there is a full on invasion into the world. <laughs> they yes. are freaking out. Yeah, it's it's one of uh, probably one of my favorite kind of, I think, like of the CG visual effects here is you have these big city sized things kind of coming into the atmosphere. So it's all like smoky and fiery around these things as they come in. And it kind of bounces around the world a little bit, you know, as people are starting to see these actually coming into, into view into the atmosphere. So they're in like Iraq, um, you can see them, you know, people are, they're on like a submarine and they're like, I can't see out of the, you know, the periscope, this one's not working. And the guy's like, well, the infrared one's working fine. And you just see like this giant disc just sliding over top of, uh, you know, everything there they're looking at and that's you know kind of when the news reports start you know reporting on these things so everyone's starting to get clued in on it um so they send a one of the you know kind of a satellite plane you know that does you know navigation and stuff into kind of the airspace of this thing to i guess to see if they can i don't know get some sort of like mapping on it or something but uh you know it flies right into it and basically gets eviscerated and uh these things are uh no good we're learning pretty quickly here Yep. Yep. And, um, pans back to, uh, to Rusty, uh, our, our drunk pilot, uh, our, our drunk crop duster. Um, he's trying to sober up at the bar. He's had, you know, well, he's in a diner and he's at the bar of the diner having a cup of coffee. And, uh, he overhears there's two, two or three other guys, um, that all are covered in dirt. Like, I don't know why they, they think that they can call anybody anything because they, they, they look like they're in the same predicament as poor Rusty here, but um, they start making fun of Rusty because apparently he was in Nam and mm-hmm. he was a pilot in Nam. That's how he learned to fly. But about 10 years ago, he um, was abducted by aliens or he says he was. And so um, 
there's, you know, they start joking with him. They're like, oh, the aliens did an experiment on you, like of a sexual nature. What did they do? And he, he, he really takes the brunt of it. And it's, you know, but you can tell whatever happened 10 years ago is really affected him. And it's, it's made it really hard for him to kind of um, get over himself. And when you think mm-hmm. about it, you know, there actually have been people who have said that they were abducted by aliens and then brought back for some reason, you know, they, and, and it has ruined a lot of people's lives because they truly believe this is something that has happened. Um, and so I thought this was a really interesting um, take on, you know, this was a good story arc for the movie um, mm-hmm. because people, because it really does. If you look at uh, and you do any research into this at all, you see that that's, that's a very real thing. This poor guy, he can't stop drinking. He can't, you know, he can't provide for his family. So, um, but it's, they, they kind of make it funny, um, because turns out he was right. There are aliens, they exist. and We're mm. going to find out today. <laughs> so yeah, as they're kind of making fun of him, right. It's the, the, uh, alien craft starts coming overhead and he's like, see, I told you. And then, you know, he starts freaking out obviously. Right. Cause if, uh, if you really was abducted by aliens, that would be something that would be uh, pretty terrifying to you, right. I would think. So, yeah. um, and then we have uh, David back in his office, right? He kind of emerges from his uh, office there and comes out and he's like, I, I figured it out. You know, it's, uh, there's this signal in the satellite. It's counting down. He's like, we don't need to worry about it too much because the satellite signal interference, it's counting down. So all this stuff's going to be over in about six hours. Um, and he's talking and no one's listening to him because everyone in the office, like a hundred people are just kind of transfixed on this tiny TV. Now, if you work at a uh, satellite office, maybe you have a bigger TV. I don't know, but they're around this uh, little small one here. Maybe that's the only one that works with the, the only one that works. Out. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so everyone's watching the news and, and he's kind of rattling off and, and he's telling, and I don't know if he's his uh, boss or who he is exactly. Uh, but Marty is there and he's, you know, he's telling David, he's like, have you seen this? And Marty's played by Harvey Firestein and uh, he's amazing. So he's so great. He's got the best voice. He's like, what are you doing, David? Look at this. Look at this. It's awful. It's so yeah. good. It's so it, good. It's so good. But yeah, so he realizes, you know, you know, what's actually going on. And then from there, we meet our, our last, you know, kind of pair of characters. Uh, you get the, the little boy kind of comes in. He's like, mommy, look it. And Will Smith and his uh, girlfriend, uh, her name is uh, Jasmine. Um, she's played by Vivica A. Fox. And Will Smith's character, his name is Stephen Hiller. Uh, they're kind of in bed, uh, not that interested in, you know, what the little boy uh, wants them to, to go look at. And, you know, uh, Captain Hiller there, uh, he's he's not really uh, not really focusing on uh, what's going outside. He's uh, very uh, very lackadaisical about you know getting right. woken up and figuring out what's what's going on. He's kind of looking out the window. Um, he's like, "What's up with the neighbors? All the the neighbors across the street are like packing up and heading out." And then yeah, and he's kinda... like, "Why why are they? They've all finally had it. Well, there's a quake, right? There's a the the Earth shakes as oh, the yeah. ship is going by, and so at first he's like, "What's going on?" And Vivica's uh Vivica Fox's character Jasmine says oh it's not even a four-pointer I mean I guess these are things that you deal with when you're in California you wake up to the earth shaking and then you just go back to sleep I don't know but he does he goes back to sleep and then he wakes up and then he sees that everybody outside is packing their bags and so they kind of go and start to make breakfast it's not you know he's you know, looking forward to a really great 4th of July weekend. And he goes out to pick up the paper 
And that's when he sees <laughs> this ginormous ship that is over the center of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, so now we've kind of met all of our characters uh, kind of in this film, at least like, you know, the, the key players here. Um, and it's time now for the president to make a speech. They have a little bit of information about what's going on. These ships are coming in. Uh, you know, any president that's good would go on and not <laughs> incite fear and ridiculousness and recklessness. Uh, so he needs to go on TV and make a speech. So that's, that's uh, what he does. He's going in, they set up a kind of a TV, uh, you know, thing, emergency broadcast for the president to go on and, you know, kind of quell some, some fears. And David, you know, he's trying to um, call into his ex-wife and she happens to be the chief of staff for the president here. Um, and her name is uh, Marilyn. And, yep. you know, he's trying to get through to her. He's like, it's a countdown. Um, I think that that's bad. I need to to get there to see you but you know she can't talk to him right now she's set up this uh, tv thing and the president goes on air to give an update to the nation right right yeah she doesn't give him much time a day marilyn um and jeff uh, you you find out through the chess game that when jeff goldblum's character is talking to his father that they have actually been divorced for three years but um david is still wearing his wedding ring and so you know, his father's like, I think you should move on. And he's like, I don't want to talk about this. Right. Um, so immediately he, you know, when, when Marilyn says, I can't talk to you about this right now, I've got to, I've got to go and basically hangs up on him. He's like, that's it. Pop, we gotta, we gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta drive. Cause I guess he's in New York and they're in Washington, DC, obviously, cause they're in the white house. And so he's like, we gotta, we gotta go. And, um, he, uh, he goes to his dad, he borrows the car um, because of course he doesn't have a car. All he has is a bike that he rides through, through the office. And uh, they, they, they get on this highway and no one is on this highway. It's actually pretty scary. And it reminds me, um, it really does remind me of when I was part of Hurricane Katrina um, mm -hmm. and Rita, because the, you know they, it was before we learned that we could open both highways to have a mass exodus of a, mm. of a city if we needed to. Um, so one part of the highway was completely packed and the other was empty. and was really, um, really an interesting shot. But David's father doesn't understand why he's so adamant that we need to go and we need to go now um, because there's this countdown and he's like, well, you think when we get to DC, it won't be there? Like what, what's going on? And it's very telling because um, David just gets more and more terrified that because it's like a chess game, he says, right? If, if you were going to invade a, a world, you would strategically place your pieces, you would set up the timing and then it would, you would, execute mm -hmm. checkmate and so um yeah so that's happening meanwhile russell um so our our crop dusting uh drunk alien uh dude he uh is on the news his kids see him on the news because he is going crazy telling people you know trying to warn people telling people that they have to you know we have to stop the aliens and i was they took me 10 years ago and he's trying to explain to people and nobody's giving him much time a day so he's um got like drunken disorderly conduct and so the police are taking him away so of course his oldest son miguel is like i'll go get dad in the drunk tank i'll just go get him mm -hmm. and but as he leaves they're, they've already let him out because they're like, they got, you know, they got bigger fish to fry. They're not worried about a drunk guy because we have aliens now landing on the planet. 
Yep. Yeah. And uh, Stephen Hiller was supposed to have this weekend off, but obviously plans are changed. So he has to go report for duty. He's a, he's a fighter pilot for the Marine Corps, um, you know, and, and he's upset his uh, girlfriend, Jasmine, she's upset. And he's like, I know I was supposed to be on leave this weekend. She, he's like, I don't understand why you're so upset. And she just goes and throws open the curtain and is like, are you serious? What's, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. So, but he, he kind of comes to her, right? He says, we can, we can go together or you can meet me on base, which I guess is a big deal. Yeah. Cause that's probably the safest place. I guess if you know, something bad's going to happen, get the base. He's like, you know, you know, bring the kid, come to base. I'll be fine. Everything's going to work out. So, uh, so he does, he leaves, um, he gets there to kind of report for duty. Um, and he goes, he's in the locker room and there's a letter sticking out of his locker and it's from NASA. Uh, so you get the uh, indication that he's applied for, uh, you know, to get a job with NASA or enter the astronaut training program or something along those lines. But, uh, one of his friends is there and, uh, reads the letter for it and he's been declined uh, service, but we find out that, you know, he has an engagement ring for Jasmine. He was just kind of waiting for the right time to do it. And we find out a little bit more about Jasmine. Uh, she's a, an exotic dancer as she'll tell the first lady later in the, in the film. And we see her at work, you know, which is a very nineties film thing to do, I guess. But, um, and then, you know, after she comes off stage, she goes back into their locker room and there's another uh, girl there and she's watching the news and she's showing her a sign because apparently all over the world where these spaceships are coming in, they're having like these welcome to earth, end of the world parties, these big rooftop parties. Because that know, sounds like a great idea. <laughs> to, to welcome the alien invasion. And, you know, Jasmine has a has a pretty level head on her shoulders. She's like, she's like, that's a terrible idea. Don't go do that. <laughs> and the girl's like, okay, but uh, yeah, that's, that's not really going to, going to be what happens. So. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's an interesting scene because um, Steve Hiller's best friend is actually played by Harry Connick Jr. Um, and uh, they're co-pilots. Well, are they co-pilots? Yeah, I guess they are. Well, no, he's his own pilot anyway. They're on plane. They they fly planes where they only have they only need one pilot, I guess. But they they are best friends. And he says, you know, I really like Jasmine, but you know, I are you sure you want to do this? Because when he looks at the ring, it's 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 totally 1996. It's like two dolphins mm -hmm. around a diamond. It's like I I I loved it when I was 15. I thought that was the cutest ring ever. Um, yep. Anyway, Jasmine, you know, when she's doing her thing on stage. Um, she notices that no one is paying attention to her. Um, everybody is looking at, you know, I don't even know why people go to those places if they're not going to watch what they should be watching. They're all watching the TV. <laughs> um, and the aliens have been there for for at least a few hours. So I, I don't get it. it but she leaves her friend who's like uh, backstage and has this sign that says, welcome to earth. You know, we, you know, come here in peace. It's It's crazy because, I mean, you know that if, aliens ever did land you'd be there'd be people that are like we're just go have a party it's gonna be fine um mm -hmm. but yeah she she's like i gotta get out of here i'm gonna go pick up my kiddo and then we're gonna i'm going to meet um uh steve at el toro which is the name of the base mm -hmm. um and so uh yeah it's it's very strange how like life is still trying to be a little bit normal on this day. Like people are going to work. People are still going to go into a, a exotic dancing clubs um, as you do on a normal day. And, um, but it's still not really normal. Like it's, you know, uh, yeah. you, you have this very foreboding feeling of kind of the, you know, the end of the world is coming. So why, why are we, 
<laughs> why, yeah. why are we and, making signs? <laughs> and and that aspect of the film, I think, is very realistic because I think that's probably what would really happen. And I think one of the um, the news reports, I think the news report that's going on at the at the strip club is like we're asking, you know, the people of Los Angeles not to not to fire shots at the uh, alien spacecraft because you could inadvertently trigger a, you know, intergalactic war and, <laughs> and, and things. And that's probably something you'd have to tell people. So, um, but yeah, so they're, so they're there, David and his uh, dad, they finally make it to DC and David has, uh, has this cool laptop there and he kind of triangulates where his, uh, you know, ex-wife is and uh, calls her on his cell phone and, you know, tells her to look out the window. They're standing out there. So, so he gets in and to get a meeting with the president, right? He, he feels like he needs to tell the president what he knows, you know, in case, you know, other, you know, they haven't quite figured this out yet. Um, and uh, while they're getting this uh, meeting set up between the president and David, they're going to send up a helicopter that's going to kind of issue like this, like, light and sound kind of message. I don't really know how they decide how to do that, if it's some sort of like Morse code or something, um, or some sort of like mathematical code they think they can they can do. But they send up a couple of these helicopters that have these big like light arrays on mm -hmm. them. And they get up kind of, you know, next to the ship over top of DC, I guess is the one they, they went to. And they start flashing all these lights. And uh, you just see kind of this beam of blue light like opening like across like the seam on the spaceship. And then immediately just engulfs these like three helicopters in this blue light. They explode. Uh, not great. Um, and then- Not great news. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but luckily David's there. They have the meeting with the president. Uh, we uh, get pretty uh, funny little backstory, right? So apparently David at some point had accused the uh, president of having an affair with his uh, then wife, the <laughs> secretary of state. And his dad's like, you punched the president. And uh, that's, that's pretty funny. But, you know, tells him he's like, this is a countdown. This is just like chess. They got their pieces in order. We need to get out of here. You need to figure out something to do, but we got to go. Uh, yeah. before this this thing happens and I, it does make you wonder though when you look up at the spaceship right it totally looks like the center of the spaceship is over the white house and so um i don't know about you but i would be like i don't i don't know why they're here but the placement is very telling to me so i don't know why it took a scientist to like come in and like once again rehash that he you know hit the president oh you know and like show them the hey you have you literally have 30 minutes to get out of this building building now um mm -hmm. before they ended up doing anything i think nowadays especially now um because remember this is 25 years ago as soon as we saw aliens land or we saw a ship we you know all of the the, the who's who in the american government would be put in a bunker somewhere um mm -hmm. but um they you know in the meantime they're they're like okay well we gotta we gotta get going and so you know you got the president you got his daughter he's calling his wife um who's still in la and she's like oh I'm, I'm we're getting on a helicopter and we're gonna we're gonna leave it's just a bunch of kind of rushing to try and get out um before you know the clock stops because we don't know what exactly is going to happen when the the clock stop but mm -hmm. um yeah nothing good <laughs> nothing good's going nothing good's going to happen so right. it kind of it kind of pans around right so all of this chaos going on at the at the white house and you know david's told the president you know, about this countdown so he finally orders kind of the evacuation for him and all of the staff on right. the air force one so they they go they're loading up the plane um you'll see the 
the girl from the strip club. She's on this uh, rooftop somewhere uh, holding up her sign. You know, it, lo- it looks like the spaceship's about, you know, like 50 feet above their heads. It starts opening up. It has this uh, crazy blue light. It's kind of escaping from it. She says that it's beautiful. It is really pretty. It's uh, some really good uh, CG effects here. Um, but, you know, about as soon as, you know, the president and David and, you know, everyone gets on to Air Force One, uh, these beams of blue light just start raining down all over the world. So the first one, it just goes like directly through the Empire State Building. Um, it explodes. Um, the White House explodes. The Capitol Building explodes. And this uh, this scene right here is probably what won at the Oscar, is you just have these big, huge, um, you know, Im- important buildings, uh, you know, at least around the U.S., these big massive things and these big explosions, because I think if you watch some behind the scenes of this stuff, a lot of that was built, you know, not to not to scale, but they were they were big models that they were exploding yes. of these things. And it, it looks really realistic, um, these kind of practical, you know, explosion effects. Um, it, and it looks really good, but everyone, you know, kind of gets out of D.C., at least of these these main players on Air Force One, you know, kind of right in the nick of time. Right. Yeah, they do. And so David's there, his father's there. Um, you know, it, it's, it's tough because you see the same thing happen in New York. So, right. Cause you see the empire state building go down, you know, uh, but pretty much everybody in New York that we know is, other than, you know, the people that have moved out are, are gone. Right. So the, his uh, assistant or his friend, he's like stuck in traffic and he doesn't make it out in, you know, the same thing happens in LA. So uh, Jasmine is, was trying to get to Toro, to El Toro. She can't make it there. Um, they're in like a subway um, or, you know, yeah, like they're, a, they're in like, like a, tunnel. a tunnel. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she sees that there's some major <laughs> fires going on behind her. So she grabs her son and their dog. And it's a very, um, it's a very tough, it's very scary for us animal lovers because you don't know if the dog's going to make it, but they end up going into kind of a weird, um, hallway and they end up surviving. But when they come out, like, um, it, it looks like everything has been destroyed the whole city just for blocks and blocks and blocks. It's like, um, it's as if somebody dropped like an atom bomb or something like that. Um, but it's mm. just, there's, there's like all the cars are completely decimated. There's no people. It's just crazy. And so of course, J- Jasmine's little boy, Dylan is like, mommy, what happened? And she's like, I don't know, baby. I don't know what happened. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm, but she, you know, nothing, I mean, they can't go anywhere, you know? So it's been, so, uh, so then that, that was July 2nd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we've made it through to July 3rd. We've lost, you know, a bunch of major cities around the world now, but Mm -hmm. um, it kind of does like a little like recap of where everyone's at. So you'll see uh, Russell and his three kids, they're kind of driving through the desert, you know, in like this uh, RV kind of thing, towing their (laughs) the plane along behind them. Uh, We check in on Air Force One. It's in the sky. Um, we get an update. They've not been able to contact the first lady, right? You know, she made it out on the helicopter, but we've not been able to reach her. So they don't know, you know, if she's safe, if she's alive, if something happened to the, to the helicopter, mm-hmm. if it actually made it out or not. Um, so that's kind of where all of, all of those pieces are. And then we get to uh, Captain Hiller. Uh, he's sitting, you know, 
on the uh, on the base there, and they're having sort of a briefing. They're passing out these cigars to everyone, and they're going over the plan. So the aliens shot first, so it's about time to send up these jets to go try to engage this thing and take it down. Um, and there's a, a lot of jets that they're <laughs> sending up. There's like a hundred of these jets. It's it's kind of uh, kind of crazy. But as they're walking out, uh, Will Smith says the line. He's like. Remember, don't let don't light these up. These are victory cigars. Don't light up till the fat lady sings. That's um, right. And they're they're all getting ready to uh, go into battle. Right. Yeah. And he's pretty cocky about it. Like he's he he doesn't seem to be super worried. Um, even even his his uh his friend is like, don't you know? I know Jasmine got out. She'll be fine. Like I know you haven't heard from her, but she's gonna be all right. And he's like, it's fine. I'm just gonna go whip whippy ass. You know, it was like it's fine. <laughs> um. So they get up. They get up in the the sky, and there's. It's really cool. Um, I think a lot of, I, I keep going back to uh, Top Gun for some of these shots because they, to me, they're very reminiscent and um, hopefully that doesn't offend anybody who actually made that film. Um, but I, I think it's, they, they, they start to see these very smaller ships kind of come out of um, the 15 mile long ones, right? So there's these smaller mm-hmm. ships that are kind of like our fighter pilots, only they look um, very alien-esque. <laughs> They've got that cylinder going on and mm-hmm. they, um, and, and so they kind of get into a dogfight with these, right? And yes. uh, yeah. And so they, they want to go and like blow up the big ships, the 15 mile long ships, but they can't actually do that because there's this force field. And so they're, they're like regular missiles aren't having any effect on them. So they're like, well, you know, that's when the secretary of defense starts to get the idea that let's, let's nuke them all and see what happens then. Cause that'll be better. <laughs> um, yeah. but anyway, there's this dog fight. Um, they're, you know, they're trying to, um, weave through the, like, it looks like the grand Canyon. It's, it's really beautifully done. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's the grand Canyon. But yeah. The, so you know, their missiles are ineffective on this big ship and, you know, all the little ships kind of come out and start this dogfight. Um, and basically the, uh, you know, the, uh, the Marine fighters there are just, are just getting mowed down. And basically, you know, the Captain Hiller is the only one that's, you know, kind of able to, to stay away from one. And he kind of leads one through this chase through, through, yes, through the Grand Canyon. And eventually he comes up with the, with a pretty good idea is he, um, deploys kind of like the like the parachute off of the back, which I guess you use if you're landing on um, some sort of like an aircraft carrier kind of thing, or if you're mm-hmm. trying to do like a like a shortened uh, you know landing kind of thing. But he he does that, and it you know goes over top of this alien uh, craft and makes it crash. So you know he kind of you know he ejects from from his jet and goes down. He goes over uh, to the alien craft. Uh, you know, kind of rips open the hatch and then you get this uh, big, ugly look at alien and you get the uh, famous line from Will Smith. He just kind of punches this thing in the face and says, welcome to earth. And, you know, he, he survives. So he's, uh, he's going to light up his victory cigar victory for him, I guess, at least. So. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. His friend kind of, he loses his friend in the dogfight, and he gets um, kind of he runs out of, he, well, he takes off his mask because he's not able to breathe. And so he's not able to think very clearly. And, and, and so he passes away because he gets shot down. But, um, you know, back on Air Force One, of course, now they're talking, hey, we know they've got the shields, but maybe if we nuke them, that'll pierce the shields and that'll be great. That'll 
you know, and then of course, David is like, what are you people thinking? Like, we're going to, we're going to set off nuclear bombs on American soil and yeah. we'll basically like, kill the whole world anyway. I mean, yeah, wait, like, you know, and then they're going to kill them and you're going to kill us. That sounds like a great idea. And so then there's, you know, fighting with him and saying, you can't be here. And he's like, I have a right to be here. It can't be allowed. And they're like, David, stop talking. And then of course, David's father, um, you know, ends up go getting getting all daddy bear on him right and he's like mm -hmm. I, you know none of you would be here if it wasn't for my david you know he he could figure this out in a few hours and you guys have known you guys have known that there are aliens and you you have always known because of in the 50s there was roswell and you know and he's like i i can't believe this don't talk to don't talk to my son that way you guys have always you guys have had plenty of time to plan for this and you've done nothing and so you have you owe everything that you have to my son which i thought was really sweet and then of course the president is like well sir i don't know what you've read but roswell doesn't exist that's not real and then of course the stupid secretary of defense is like well mr president that's not entirely accurate and so uh apparently the not even the president was told that area 51 was real yeah. and um small small uh fact about this film we uh this film actually had partnered with um, the military uh, previous to uh, the film to try and get extra access to some buildings and uh, some of the protocols so it could be as realistic as possible. Mm -hmm. And the military was all on board until they read that they were going to actualize um, Area 51 as a place for the aliens. And then they said, nope, we're not going to help you anymore. So uh, fun fact there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so read into that, whatever you would like to, but, uh, but yeah, so basically everyone aboard Air Force One is uh, on their way to uh, Roswell, New Mexico. Um, and, you know, we're going to check back in with Jasmine. Uh, she's in like a, it's like a big like pickup truck and there's some other kind of survivors that have gotten together and they're driving through um, and they see someone kind of off in the distance, you know, under some rubble. So they stop and Jasmine uh, goes up to her and it's the first lady. So she's, you know, survived, you know, kind of the helicopter crashing or whatever, but she's in, she's in a pretty rough shape, but um, you know, kind of at least get the, uh, the first lady there. And then we're going to see, you know, Stephen Hiller, uh, he's uh, got the uh, alien, knocked him out with his uh, brutal punch. Um, he's dragging him across the desert, right? He's got him like tied into this parachute and he's dragging him along. And then there's about 10,000 RVs kind of screaming across the desert, of course. And uh, one of those mm -hmm. is uh, being driven by Russell and his family. Um, and he gets, you know, kind of pulls up to him and he says, oh, can I can I give you a ride soldier or something, something along those lines? He's like, yeah, can you take me to the, to the military base? I think I flew over one, you know, not too far back there. And uh, Russell kind of looks at his map. He's like, it's not on the map. And Hiller's like, trust me, it's there. Um, so we know instantly that they're going to the same place as our uh, Air Force One crew is going. Yeah. This place that doesn't exist and nothing ever happened to. Right. That place. Yep. So, uh, so I love this scene um, because the president actually gets in and it, it's really like a bunker and they, they, they're like, well, welcome to Roswell, sir. And he's like, open the, can you open the, open the pod bay doors? You know, basically they're made of glass. And uh, the guy says, well, you know, with uh, the air friction, we should probably get you into contamination. And he's like, just open the door. And so they open the door and it takes them even further down. Cause they're like 20 stories down anyway. Um, mm -hmm. 
but it takes them even further down and they meet the head scientist who is um, amazing. He is played by the same guy who is Data in Star Trek. I can't remember his name, but uh, he is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brent, this- Brent Spiner, I think yes, is his name. Yes, that's it. Yep. And he, he's just wonderful. He's got this long flowing hair and he's like super excited. He's like, they don't let us out much. I'm so glad to finally meet you, Mr. President. This is amazing. <laughs> and, um, you know, he's not as, it's probably good that they don't let him out because he's very excited about all the things that that's happened in the last 24 hours and the rest of the world is really terrified. So, mm-hmm. um, so they, they, they show him, um, they show the president and his, you know, kind of entourage, a, um, a spaceship because they had one back in the fifties, it crash landed. And so they're like, well, we, we know a lot about it, but we don't, we don't really know how to, how it flies, but it's, it started to really come alive in the last uh, day or two. And so we think with the proximity of the big mothership and then the little Mm -hmm. baby ships that are still really big um, that they are uh, somehow, you know, telepathically sending signals to this ship so now it's it's starting to kind of come to life and they're able to move it and it's able to move around and stuff mm-hmm. and um and then of course um the scientist says do you want to do you want to actually see one and so <laughs> they go in to this room that he affectionately calls the freak show and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he sees these three kind of alien beings that are tra- trapped in that you know water stuff that you trap that you put dead things in and uh he says you know basically they're not that dissimilar to us these aliens you know they have um they still need oxygen um they you know have internal organs you know much like we do they have amazing technology that's the thing that separates them their technology is far superior so when Mm -hmm. they're in the ships they have these kind of suits that they wear that are symbiotically, you know, attached to their skin. Um, but you can get the suits off. And once you get the suits off, they're just like us. And so yep. they, they can, and, and to be honest, humans are pretty frail. Like we can die pretty easily. Um, so it's uh, so this scene is happening. It's really interesting. Cause you get to see the faces of the aliens for the first time uh, really up close and mm-hmm. um, and then juxtaposed against this scene, you see that Hiller is is getting to Area Fifty One, right? Yep. Yeah. With so the... the giant RV uh, <laughs> entourage behind him, there's like three hundred RVs. Yeah, yeah. This big uh, this RV convoy is kind of pulling up to to Area Fifty One, and so you know, kind of the the truck pulls in. You know, Hiller's in the back with this thing, and uh, they pull up to like the you know, security gate there and the, and, you know, he salutes him and he's like, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't let you in without like a, with like your, without an ID badge or, you know, something. He's like, oh, okay. I've got that right over here. And he pulls back the tarp and it's the alien. And they kind of, kind of wave them all into this uh, area 51 area. Um, And he gets in, you know, take the, take the alien. Of course, you know, Dr. Okun's very excited because they've never had one that was still alive, right? This one's just been uh, knocked out so they can, you know, do some research on it real quick. And, you know, uh, Hiller's like, you know, I'm here. Here's the, here's the alien, but I really need to get back to base. Right. Cause he's supposed to meet, you know, Jasmine and uh, her son there back on base and um, her like, Oh, didn't, you don't know. 
but the base got destroyed because during the dogfight, you know, some of those uh, smaller alien ships kind of fly over it and, you know, destroy it. So, you know, so he's pretty, uh, pretty down in the dumps about that, right? That's pretty bad news to come back to. You lost your, your whole team. And now the place where you're supposed to go meet your uh, girlfriend and hopeful uh, fiance, you know, has been destroyed. So that's not good. Um, and then we get kind of the, um, the creepier bit of this film is they're going to do the autopsy on this alien. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's not good. So, so they, uh, they, they, they kind of, I don't know how they knock him out. I don't know what they use to do that, but again, they talk about this suit, um, being kind of attached to the skin. Um, not so that if you take off the suit, you're going to hurt them, but, um, but they, you know, they, they kind of, start to kind of cut the suit off of the, the alien. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know what they gave him to knock him out, but it wasn't enough because the alien wakes up and, um, it's, you know, it's, it's smaller. It's much smaller than, than the suit is. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is still quite powerful. And so it kind of goes a little crazy and kills everybody in the autopsy room, including the lead scientist. Um, but it's a, and it's a really, uh, very alien-esque uh, scene. It's, it's, it, it reminds me a lot about the Ridley Scott film because there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of white smoke so you don't see things. Um, you don't see a lot of the violence or anything, but then, you know, the poor lead scientist, is, his body is kind of slammed against this glass wall and, you know, the president and his entourage is on the other side of it and the alien has got his hands kind of wrapped around the the scientist's neck because he can't speak the aliens don't have vocal cords um so they think that they communicate with each other telepathically so but they can't communicate with the humans that way they don't know how to do that yet so he's got a way to make this dead body kind of speak for him i mean just mm-hmm. super creepy um yeah. and basically you know the president asks all the right questions. He says, you know, I think we can learn from each other. Is there a way we can negotiate a truce? And they're like, no, that's not happening. And they're like, well, what, what do you want? And he says, oh, we just want you all to die. And so then um, I guess the alien learns pretty quickly how to enter the mind of uh, a human. And so they, um, you know, the president starts to get a headache and he's, he's like, oh, and he, you know, he goes into distress. And so they, uh, they end up having to, to take the alien down, they shoot through the glass and, and they kill it, um, which again, is not impossible to do, right? They, it's just that the technology is really great. And so then the, mm-hmm. but the good thing about this is that they kill him in time that uh, in enough time for the president to uh, get, understand what the plan is and what, why the aliens came and what they are is basically kind of these parasitic, uh, this parasitic yeah. race that goes and, um, finds a planet kills, kills the, you know, the highest form of species on that planet inhabits the planet, strips it of all of its natural resources and moves on. Mm-hmm. And so, they they really are in, they realize they're in the fight for their lives like the, there's no way that they're going to stop they're just going to try and kill all the humans and then use the planet as their own yep yeah he uh he compares them to uh locusts and then kind of the uh end end point of this is that he tells them or he tells the secretary of defense to uh nuke them 
So that's what they're they're going to do. They're going to go and try the uh, nuclear bomb on these guys, right? It's kind of a last ditch effort to take yeah. care of these guys before you know they basically des- destroy the uh, the whole of the human race. Right. Yeah. And that- yeah, and that, so, that makes uh that makes David real bad real upset because he's like, we're all we're making we're making the worst mistake ever. I mean, we're really and he's not wrong. Like at this point, we're just gonna help the aliens strip the entire world of all the natural resources because we're gonna make it so hard horrible to live in. Um yeah, yeah. So he's having a pretty heated conversation uh with uh Constance. They're in kind of like the break room area of this uh area 51 bunker, and they're there. Um it, and kind of kind of against that you know hiller you know, found out that the base was destroyed he he wants to go back there and see if he can find jasmine so uh he goes out and he finds himself a helicopter that's kind of in the you know hangar of this area 51 area and mm-hmm. you know there's a, a gentleman there and he, another uh, soldier kind of pulls a weapon on him and he's like i can't let you steal that sir and he's like he's like i don't think you really want to shoot me and and then he's and and the gentleman is uh is much larger than will smith and he's like you can just tell him i hit you and he just looks at him he's like are you serious dude but uh so he's he kind of commandeers this helicopter and uh he's you know off to see if he can locate jasmine you know back near the uh the military base yeah yeah and so the 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 scene you know it kind of goes back and forth david's really upset he's getting drunk he's like yeah area 51 they have plenty of booze so he's getting drunk he's really upset um the president you know they set up this whole mission with a bunch of nukes um to go and and they find i guess the nearest the nearest big ship and so they Go to, to be it. over. It's it's over uh, Houston, I think. Oh, that's, that's right. Like it's it's over to, Houston. Yeah. yeah, more reasons for me not to go back to that city. Um, they um, they they drop one nuke and they think that they've got it. And of course, the Secretary of Defense is real smug, and he's like, "Oh, it's it was the right choice to make." And it's only Houston. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. <laughs> it's <laughs> and fun. of course, they're trying to talk to the president. You know, they're like, "Yeah, you know, we evacuated." <laughs> <laughs> this was probably back when Houston was only 3 million people. So it, it, it didn't kill too many. It's fine. It's really yeah, okay. And, and, it, and in fairness, there's like a, it's like a tank or something that's kind of driving through the city and they're scanning the buildings or something to make sure that everyone's out of there before, before they set this thing off. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they do their best, but um, they, they're all excited. They're all congratulating each other. And then they, they see, that once the smoke clears, which I don't understand, I don't know how long that takes in a nuclear winter, but anyway, when they are able to see smoke, uh, the smoke clear, they see that it's had absolutely no effect on the ship because again, the ship has this really strong um, uh, barrier around it. So the Mm -hmm. missiles that the little, the, you know, the smaller missiles had no effect the you know the nuclear bombs don't have an effect so it's it's really a problem and so yeah. I, we only need to do one uh luckily the president learns from his mistakes and says you know no let's we're going to abort the mission which you know the secretary of uh, defense is like we should try again we should do more we should um you know and he says no i'm not i'm not going to do that again and so uh they get into a big fight and i think at this point the they we start to really see the president lose his patience with the secretary of defense because it's very it's a very um generalist where he, all he wants to do is blow stuff up and and you know 
uh, meet force with force instead of any kind of science around it. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so the president kind of calls off that, uh, you know, bad tactic of the nukes. That's not going to work. It's just going to annihilate the rest of the cities that they were sending, sending nukes to. So call that off, but, uh, at least finally a, a little bit of good news, uh, you know, Stephen Hitler, uh, he has his helicopter there and lands and he finds uh, Jasmine and uh, the first lady. So uh, that's good that he found him. But unfortunately, the first lady's injury, it looks like it's going to be uh, too late for her to pull through. Yeah, and it's a really tough scene. It makes me cry every time, you know, because you're so excited. You think she's going to be all right. And they, they get her into the hospital and they, you know, the doctor's trying to have the conversation with the president and a uh, little, um, their daughter, um, Patricia, she goes in to kind of cuddle with her mom and her mom really can't do it and uh, sends mm-hmm. her away. And so the poor daughter, she doesn't even get to say goodbye to her mom. It's really, yeah. it was not a good call. You guys should have let her say goodbye to her mommy. Um, it, really, it was very, it's very hard for me to watch. And so, um, you know, the, the president and the first lady have this really sweet banter where he says something and she calls him a liar. It happens at the beginning of the film. And then he comes in and he sits down next to her and he says, you know, they think you're really going to be fine. And she, she looks at him and smiles and, you know, with tears in her eyes. And she's like, you're a liar. Cause she knows she's not in good shape. And, um, mm-hmm. But he's there with her, at least, you know, she's not alone. She's, she was able to at least see her family before she passed. And so, um, but he's really brokenhearted and, um, and now he's, you know, uh, has to kind of bear that as well as the burden of the entire world on his shoulders. Um, uh, so it's, uh, you know, they, so that's, that's, that's kind of happening. And while, while they're in mourning and trying to regroup and figure out what they're going to do. So we go find uh, David, right? He's, he's had this uh, conversation with Constance. They've just tried these nuclear weapons. He's kind of at the uh, end of his rope. So he's, uh, you know, he's turned to the stockpile of, uh, of liquor that they have at Area 51, which I guess if you're living underground for your work and, you know, not allowed to talk to anyone in the outside world, that's probably, probably the best way, but he's, uh, he's went a little bit too far. He's, uh, he's, uh, three sheets to the wind, as they say, he's there and his dad comes in, he's trying to, you know, kind of talk some reason to him and David kind of falls down. He's on the floor and he's like, he's like, they didn't listen to me. He's like, I don't know what we can do. He's like, we need to figure this out. And his, his dad, you know, says a couple things to him, but then he says, you know, get up off the floor. You're going to catch a cold. Um, and, and, you know, David's like, wait, what did you say? And he goes, he starts back kind of at the beginning of everything. And he said, and he said, no, after, after that. And he's like, okay, so uh, David's wheels start spinning and he comes up with a, a bit of a plan and you'll see him get to, uh, he has kind of this, his little laptop that he'd been using in the car. Um, and they're kind of out in the main hangar where this alien ship is. And you see him kind of, you know, plugging some things in and he uh, has there's a coke can on top of the spaceship and he tells you know one of the one of the agents there to shoot the coke can and uh, he shoots and of course it hits the it's the uh, kind of force field thing and bounces around and then uh, he hits a couple things on the computer um, tells him to shoot it again hits it off and uh, goes into kind of this theory that uh, he thinks that they 
we can upload a computer virus into into the mothership of this thing. 1996, computer viruses were kind of new and scary. No one really knew what all powers they had. I mean, they're, st- they're still a big deal today, but um, at the time they were, they were a new kind of threat. So that seemed like a plausible uh, thing to do. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. And the idea is really simple. See, they're going to they're going to take this ship. They're going to fly it to the main mothership, like the huge one, the big, big one. Mm -hmm. They're going to upload this virus and then they have a nuke that they can also drop and they'll have 30 seconds once they drop the nuke. Only 30 seconds. I don't know why that they they did that, but 30 seconds um, to uh, to drop the nuke and then get out of there. That's the plan. And so, you know, the secretary of defense thinks this is horrible. It's a horrible idea. Um, They think that the virus can maybe buy everybody on earth, like a few minutes um, where the defense shields will be down. So if they coordinate their efforts, they can take down all 16 of these little ships that are actually really big. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the secretary of defense is like, this is a horrible idea. We're never going to make it work. Who's going to fly this thing. And of course, Stephen Heller raises his hand and says, I would like to be able to fly it. And he said, okay. But uh, he, Secretary of Defense is just not having any of it. He's being a total negative Nancy. I mean, his idea of nuking them is so much better. And so um, the president ends up firing uh, the Secretary of Defense, right? Finally. Yeah. Yeah. And he uh, tells the president he can't do that. But Constance says that, uh, well, he just did that. Uh, very classic 90s line. So uh so yeah, so the plan is in motion, going to give a virus to the ship, but we need to need to let the other countries of the world know what's going on. So you'll see kind of this big bank of uh, of officers there, and they're uh, sending out Morse code signals. So we kind of bounce around. So they're uh, sending them to like the, you know, British intelligence and to the Belgian intelligence and to the Iraq military and uh and to like Japan you know kind Mm -hmm. of all of the all of the militaries of the world are getting this Morse code signal that's you know basically this is this is America's plan for how to do this uh we we ask you to get on board and if this works we can you know hopefully try to take these out um and you know, everyone seems to say, okay, this is this is the plan coming from the Americans. We're gonna gonna get on board, put a put aside our differences for yep. for a day, and try to take these things out. Yeah, it's really kind of funny that one of them is like, it's it's a, it's about time we heard something from the Americans because they're the, the leaders of the free world. It's a very American centric kind of kind of film, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, but it's, it's, it is very heartwarming uh, because you do see that people, you know, diff- I mean, Iraq, which at the time it was 1996, right? That was, a, there's, <laughs> there was a lot of tension between the two countries. And so they're, they're front and center and they're like, yeah, we're going to take them down. It's going to be great. Um, and then in the meantime, um, you know, uh, Steve Hiller and Jasmine kind of find this room and they, they find some time as the, as the, um, mission is starting to kind of get organized. They, they find some time to actually get married. Um, mm-hmm. And Dylan, the little boy is there and they have a ring. And so they're, they're given their vows and um, the witnesses are actually um, Constance or sorry, Mar- Marilyn and. Um, yeah. Uh, Constance. Yeah, sorry, Constance. Constance and David. Yep. Yep. 
And, uh, you know, they had a couple of conversations throughout this film where, you know, David never, they never stopped really loving each other, but she ended up kind of choosing um, her career over her marriage. And, you know, but he has never stopped kind of be, he's been this unwavering um, kind of love from afar. And so of course, you know, they kind of make up during this whole thing and end up holding hands. She realizes that he never stopped wearing his ring. And um, it's really kind of a, a, of a beautiful moment there when mm-hmm. they, when, when Jasmine and, and Steve get married. Um, so now, you know, it's time for, uh, for a speech and who better to give it than the president um, at, before everybody goes off to battle. And it's a, it's actually a really, really nice, beautiful speech. We haven't heard one of these in, 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 in a while. It's very yeah. moving, you know? Yeah, it, it's very moving. He's just doing it kind of on the uh, megaphone there to everyone uh, in attendance at uh, Area 51. So, you know, kind of the, the military that's there and the scientists and uh, the people from the RV camp, a lot of them had volunteered to fly on this mission because all of the uh, of the Marine fighter pilots, you know, had unfortunately perished in the uh, first attack on this, on this thing. So they needed to find some more pilots. So Russell and, you know, some others, a lot of uh, Vietnam veterans, it looks like um, are, you know, going to fly it there, but yeah, the, the president, uh, Bill Pullman makes his uh, speech, very famous, very uh, famous at the, at the time, still famous today um, and goes through the speech. It's, it's very lovely. It talks about how, you know, the 4th of July is an American holiday, but you know, no more, it's going to be a day where the world, you know, came together and, you know, joined forces as one common good, which sounds lovely and maybe someday, but uh, the end of the speech is today we celebrate our independence day and uh, president uh, Whitmore, was a fighter pilot in uh, Desert Storm, and uh, he's joining in the fight too, right? Gets a little bit of pushback, but not too much, and uh, he's ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that the if the comments within the McLaughlin group at the beginning of this film, before the aliens landed, right, was that, you know, they, you know, he, they got this fighter pilot and they wanted this fighter pilot, but they ended up getting a wimp. And at the end of the day, he's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm, I mean, I can, I can fly. So why wouldn't I do that? Right. Um, mm-hmm. So he's actually quite brave. And so, um, so both kind of um, operations are underway, right? They've got to wait till the virus is kind of uploaded and hopefully it works. And so, you know, Jeff Goldblum and, um, Will Smith's characters are in the alien ship and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Will Smith's character, Steve is kind of trying to figure it out. And there's a couple of oopses where he ends up, you know, uh, going backwards instead of forwards, um, mm-hmm. ends up, you know, kind of crashing into the back of the hangar and it's fine. Like the, the ship's fine, but he's like, oops, <laughs> and then Jeff Goldblum classic, right. It's like, can we do it again without the oops? Like, let's not have an oops. Right. And so, um, you know, he yep. starts to, you know, he can fly. He's a good pilot. So he starts to fly, you know, he starts to fly it out uh, into space. And um, which is kind of cool because, you know, there's a reference because he had wanted to be an astronaut. He had wanted to be mm-hmm. part of the training program. He's like, man, this is, this is amazing. Um, you know, he gets to, you know, go up in space and it's a really neat shot of how the atmosphere changes um, mm-hmm. as you're exiting 
um, you know, as you're leaving it. And I'd always been interested in, in what that would look like. That is something that has always interested me to see. Um, and mm-hmm. in very few space films, do they show that? So I thought that was really cool. The visual effects are awesome in that particular yeah. scene. Yeah, it kind of it kind of shows, you know, going up and as you get through the atmosphere, nothing is there to absorb light. So you have like a completely unobstructed view into deep space at that point. But yeah, so that that shot's really great. And they get into into space and they're kind of, you know, going towards this this mothership. And at some point, you know, uh, Stephen Hiller's like, ah, you know, he kind of loses control over the the ship and it's because the mothership is kind of locked onto it and is and is pulling it in. And uh you know, David's like, oh, good. I was counting on that to happen. <laughs> Stephen Hiller's like, well, when were you going to let me know that? And he's like, oops. You know, so they each get a, each get a little bit of oops to which, you know, mm-hmm. Hiller's like, we're going to have to work on our communication, which is, which is pretty funny. So, uh, so they get pulled up into the, uh, into the mothership, right? They go in, it kind of flies in and it, it gets lifted up into this thing. And it's right in front of like this big center console. But, uh, you know, David knows that there's like a, like these panels that can slide over the window, which will, you know, hide the fact that, you know, they're, they're humans on this alien uh, spaceship. So they're there and he starts uploading the virus um, and it uh, goes through, he gets it uploaded. Um, You know, everyone back on earth gets the, gets the signal that this thing is uploaded. So the fighter pilots led by the president is there and they send off a missile. Um, And the first one goes and it hits the, uh, the shield there and, you know, just like the other missiles had, um, doesn't work. Um, yeah. but, the pres- but the president wants to give it another try. Right. Because this is not a nuclear bomb and it's probably not going to kill the entire world. Um, so he's like, let's do that one more time. And so the second time it actually does work. And so he's like, give it all you got, everybody. And so they, they I think they each have like four missiles, um, mm-hmm. each of the planes do. And so they're firing kind of at the side of this big spherical 15 mile wide ship right and um they're getting some good hits in but it's not enough and so they're trying to figure out um what they what what they can do and um you know meanwhile the ship has moved right they're doing all this while the ship is moving right over area 51 because it's it's kind of triangulated the trajectory of where all of these uh are coming from and so Mm -hmm. it wants to nuke this area once and for all and so it's it's uh, kind of positioned itself correctly, and it's starting to open its kind of big the the, the big weapon, and um, it's uh, they're like, well, we we need to get up and shoot up into into this big weapon, and we think that that's probably the key. And so the president tries that with his last missile, and it doesn't work. He he it it um, it didn't quite hit the right spot. And so he's asking, you know, around, is there anybody else? Does anybody else have any missiles? And, um, and then old Russell to the rescue, right? He's yep. like, I got one. And yep. he's, he's going over the CB radio and he's like, Hey, it's me. Um, I said, I wouldn't let you down. And, you know, in this whole thing, he's been kind of this bumbling person. And he's like, I picked a really bad day to quit drinking. <laughs> you know, this, this is mm-hmm. not the right, I should have done this a long time ago. Um, so he tries, right. He tries to shoot the missile and, um, Unfortunately, the missile arms, but it won't leave his, it, there's something wrong with the deployment yeah, the, mechanism. Yep. Yeah. It, it jams or something, something like that. So, uh, you know, he, he kind of curses at that and everyone else curses because that was the last missile everyone else had, you know, they wasted their missiles shooting it into this giant thing. So um, Russell, he kind of, he kind of looks, you know, 
kind of ponders. He looks down. He has a picture of his kids there on his cockpit. Looks at that, and um, he gets back on the radio, and he's like, he's like, "Hey, <laughs> hey, everyone down there." He's like, "Tell my kids that I love them." And uh, then you'll see he just uh, he takes aim at this uh, kind of bright blue light in the belly of this uh, UFO, and you'll see back kind of in the in the mission control area that his uh, oldest son is there, and you know kind of kind of hears him say that, and you'll see Russell is just kind of going up into this blue light and flies into it, and that uh, that's the trick to taking these things out. Yeah, yeah, and of course he's like, "Remember me? I'm back," you know, and. Um, it's very heartwarming and it makes me sad, but it's really good. Um, cause it takes the whole thing down. Like the whole thing just kind of explodes and then falls. Um, I, I, I don't know where exactly it falls because it doesn't fall on top of area 51, but, um, but it kind of comes to, to a crash. And so of course now they're, they have to let everybody on the earth know, um, in all of the 16 other areas where they're trying to try to coordinate this effort, that that's where they need to aim. Yep. And so they start to bring down all of the pieces um, of that mothership. But uh, meanwhile. Yeah. So you still, you still have David and Hiller. They're still aboard the uh, mothership there. Cause it's kind of locked into this uh, arm. So they're just kind of there, you know, waiting. They don't really have a, a good escape plan at this point. Cause they're, they're stuck. They can't get out of there. They don't want to shoot off the nuke, you know, cause they're, they're stuck. So they're, they're just kind of there. They decide to go ahead and light up their uh, victory cigars and, yep. uh, you know, they're just going to shoot off this bomb. You know, if they can't get out of there, if they're stuck, they're going to fire off this, uh, this uh, nuclear bomb and, you know, take this thing out. And if it takes them out too, so be it, you know, at least they kind of accomplished the, the main part of their mission and, and save the earth. So they, they shoot off this bomb, but it goes right through the kind of control deck and the arm ends up releasing them, which gives them 30 seconds to get off of the ship. Luckily, Hiller is a good pilot, so he's uh, he's piloting piloting out of there and says again, you know, you know, it's not over till the till the fat lady sings. And they end up, you know, just kind of escaping the ship. But as they're they're going out, kind of this nuclear explosion from the the mothership kind of goes in and absorbs the ship. So everyone on Earth, you know, they've they've been out of contact now, and they don't think that they had probably made it. Right, right. Um... Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but we end up, uh, I don't know, they, they end up getting some sort of signal, right? They see something in the distance. And so. Yeah. Kind of, kind of when their, uh, their ship lands back on earth, they, they pick up the signal for it. So everyone kind of runs out into the desert and you just see Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum looking like total bosses, just walking, <laughs> walking back from this, uh, alien spaceship, smoking right. their cigars and, you know, everyone kind of runs up to them and they have the, have the reunion so you have uh you know Stephen Hiller and Jasmine are there and then you have uh David and Constance and uh his dad is there and then you have the president and her daughter and it just kind of is going around the world showing these you know giant UFOs you know crashed down into cities where they'd taken all these things out mm-hmm yep and it's it's real cool and, and so at the end they're all they're all kind of there everybody who's made it back uh is shouting and happy and um little Patricia um, the president's daughter looks up at her dad and she's like, happy 4th of July, daddy. And he's like, happy 4th of July. And, and, and they made it, they saved the earth from the aliens. It's all good. It took science yeah. and it some took, coordination and some help and some collaboration. It, it's amazing. It took, it took some collaboration, some communication, 
a computer virus uh, <laughs> and a and an open mind to ideas. Um, but yeah, it worked and uh, saved saved everyone. So that was Independence Day. It's uh, it's pretty fun. Michaela, this came out in 1996. Uh, tell everyone about your uh, your Independence Day. Was this something that you that you saw uh, when it was in theaters? Because a lot of people did that. Yes, I did. I did. I was one of the people that did see it in the theater. I was 15 at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, it was it was real good. I remember I I, st- I cried then when um, the first lady passed and I cried uh, at the end when the dad sacrificed himself. I thought that was awesome. Um, I really liked it. It's a fun ride. Um, and you know what's interesting? So this is the second biggest uh, grossing film that Will Smith has ever done, which is huge mm-hmm. considering he was kind of an unknown. I mean, he was, he had done Fresh Prince, um, but he hadn't done a lot of feature films. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think people really were, I know what I, what I've read about is that they were very unsure of his ability um, to really carry a film. And also it's worth noting is they were like, we want somebody who's like all American. Do we really want that to be a person of color? And I'm so glad they made the choice that this, that that had no no bearing on whether or not you could be an all American human. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I really thought that that brought an extra depth uh, into the, into the film. Um, and I can't imagine it being anybody better, uh, you know, than Will Smith. He just aces this whole thing. So, yeah. um, I, I loved it. And I, I think I probably, I probably watch it every year around 4th of July. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I Maybe not I, on the 4th of July, but around it. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't watched this in a couple of years, but, uh, you and I are the same age. So yeah, so it would have been in 96, that'd have been, yeah, 14 turning 15. Um, so definitely saw this one in the theater, uh, loved it then. It's it's so kind of over the top, the giant explosions, um, CG, fun. Uh, if if you watch it back now, some of it's a little cheesy, but it's still it's so awesome. It doesn't it doesn't matter. So that's fun. Um, there are a, a couple of moments where the CG doesn't look great, but for the time they were they were really good. And it's you know kind of only noticeable in in hindsight. But uh, the practical effects are just spectacular. You know, blowing up these big buildings and all these yeah. cars flying around, all of that stuff is is really great. Um, and yeah, we mentioned that we both saw it in the in the movie theater, a lot of people saw this in the movie theater. So at the time that this came out, it set the record for uh, biggest opening weekend uh, at the box office. So it took that crown from uh, 1993's Jurassic Park, which we also did an episode on. So go listen to that. Um, and it turned, it ended up being the top grossing film of 1996. And there were some uh, pretty big films that year. So um, in 96, we had Twister, you had Space Jam, um, the new Space Jam's getting ready. It comes out in two weeks, I think, um, and Mission Impossible that year. So those were some, and Mission Impossible was a huge film as well. I remember that being a really big deal when that one came out, yep. that first one with Tom Cruise. So so being the kind of top grossing film uh, amongst those, uh, that's really good. And it kind of 
set up this trend right um there yes. in like and like the late 90s you would just have these huge summer blockbusters they would release on fourth of july weekend because you get the extra day um and just these massive things so this was kind of the first one and it set up so you had like um through the 90s there the next year was men in black um and then x files and then wild wild west uh will smith three of those four so uh he was apparently the key ingredient to making a truckload of money yeah <laughs> on the fourth of july for for sure for sure and again like this really set him up as a basis where people could count on him to do blockbuster films because he hadn't done that before um and he's great. I mean, uh, if you saw Men in Black or Wild Wild West, he's he's fantastic in both of those. It's they're they're both fun. Um, so and, and then what was interesting to me is they decided to make a sequel of this, right? They did, yeah. So in 2016, there was a sequel, um, and it's Independence Day Resurgence, uh, which I assume from the title means that uh, whatever these aliens, wherever they came from, decided to come back and get payback on the people from planet earth. Um, but I couldn't say that for sure because I never saw that. Michaela, did you ever watch that one? So I think I started to watch it. Um, okay. cause I wanted to know if Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith were going to be in it. And I don't know they, if they are, I don't they were, think Bill, Bill Pullman is, I believe, but I don't yes. think that either of the, uh, yeah. the other, uh, actors here in this, in this one were in that one. Yeah. Uh, part of me really just wants to set it aside and leave it alone because I don't want no, the aliens I'm, to come back. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. So in, in that one, yeah. So Jeff Goldblum is in that one, Bill Pullman, and that one is uh, helmed by Liam Hemsworth. So there you go. Oh, well, there we go. Well, well, that's interesting. Okay. Cause I thought I was all excited cause I thought it would be the kiddos cause it was 20 years later. So I thought it would be Dylan who was, um, Jasmine's son, Jasmine and, and Will Smith's son. Um, and then um, Patricia, who was Bill Pullman's daughter. And so I was thinking it would be them kind of going up against the world because they were the big, they were the kids who are now, they, they would be the right age um, to, to build a story around. Um, but I, I, I think I saw the first maybe five minutes of it and I just, or maybe I just didn't see it at all. I don't know. <laughs> but that, but I don't I don't know what happens I don't I didn't remember the end so I either didn't watch it or I only watched the first few minutes of it so mm -hmm. yeah so I, I never saw that one either so uh, if you're listening at home let us know if we should uh, if that one's worth checking out um, but I'm probably going to stick with the uh, the original here the 9096 version uh, it's the one I grew up with and it's the, the one that is near and dear to my heart so uh, any final thoughts on Independence Day Michaela? Nope. I'm really glad. Um, well, I'm really glad we did it. I'm, and I'm really glad we found a cocktail that, um, that, that, that gave it, uh, that went with it correctly. Right. Cause the fat lady song is, uh, it's definitely one that you want to end. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I'm looking forward to the tweaked version of the cocktail. Um, because then the fat lady will really sing and it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. Well, all right. Well, everyone listening at home, let us know what your thoughts are about Independence Day. Um, if you were one of the ones that added to its box office success, or if you never watched it, if you're like Michaela and you watch it every year about this time, uh, let us know. And if you decide for some reason to try the Fat Lady song, let us know. Let us know what you think about it. Um, and definitely join us on Lobby Bar next week, and we'll talk about uh, the tweaks we're going to do to it to see if we can get it to be a little bit better of a cocktail. I think we can get there. Um, and 
If you do make a fat lady song, uh, let us know about it. We'd love to hear about it. You can tag us on Instagram and Twitter. It's at drink the movies and on facebook.com slash drink the movies. You can go to drink the where we'll have pictures of our uh, cocktail that we made for the week. Also, you know, episode recaps, all that fun stuff. Uh, so go and check that out. Um, and you should also, while you're doing that, while you're online, you should go and leave us a review. Michaela, where should they go do that? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere Anchor Podcasts are distributed. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe. Leave us a five-star review because that really helps us get the Drink the Movies out there. You guys have been doing great so far. Keep it up. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Have a cocktail with us. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, unfortunately, fortunately, I don't, know. I don't know. Either way, the fat lady has sung um, and this is gone and congratulations. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I think we're, I think we're done for this week. So Michaela, I guess everyone should just join us next time on drink, drink the, movies. the movies. Welcome to earth.